The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast post-NFL Draft Edition. Uh, Both EJ and I are home now. Uh, Originally, we were going to do our little draft recap from Kansas City. Obviously, I had to go uh, go home a little bit earlier than expected during the draft to uh, handle some family matters at home, but we're back. Uh, We're here to record our favorite draft classes of 2023. EJ and I each have three of them, Uh, but before we get into it, Buddy, how you doing? How was your flight home? Uh, not bad. Not bad. And that is a good thing in air travel these days. So got home eh, last evening, not late last night, but this morning got up, got coffee in my own cup, slept in my own bed, unpacked all the bags, uh, got the camera set back up and ready to talk about what the sort of fallout from the time we were in Kansas City is all about. Who, who got some of our best fits we're gonna talk about this overall it's not a numbers thing it's a where did we like the classes based on what the teams really needed and that's not always just about did they get all the highest ranked players did they stack all the shiny things at the top of the draft so might be some interesting picks we'll see but uh this feels good this feels real good yeah we don't really do draft grades because i've I've never been a draft grade type of guy i don't think i've ever you know, ever since SB Nation made me do them like 10 years ago, I've never actively done a draft <laughs> grade since I like worked for myself and didn't have a boss that made me do it. Um, yeah, never never been a grades guy, but I do enjoy some classes more than others, hence us doing favorites. And before we get into each of our top three, because I know we're going to get a bunch of comments of like, what about blah? Did you like blah? Did you like blah? We do have some honorable mentions. And we'll probably get into them, not even probably, we will get into them over summer because we do an hour-plus-long episode on every single team throughout the entire summer and division recaps where we talk about their entire draft classes as a whole, how they fit, coaching changes, scheme fits, all that stuff. So believe me, there is literally, uh, I don't know, hundreds of hours of content coming over summer breaking down all these teams individually. But we do have some honorable mentions just off the jump, if you are a fan of Buffalo, Carolina, Chicago, EJ, EJ fought for this when I was a little bit tepid on it, but Chicago, the Broncos, the Packers, the Lions, the Texans, the Raiders, and the Saints, we generally loved your draft class. 
We really did. And and we probably have thrown them up on screen or, you know, Jay or Autumn or Anthony have done some slick graphics while listing those off. But just rest assured, we love them too. And we will get into them in deep, deep detail over summer. But we could not talk about them today. We each have our top three. In our opinions, our favorite draft classes. I'm going to kick it off with my number three, counting down from three to one, the Dallas Cowboys. This one might surprise some people because you look at some of the classes in the honorable mentions and people are like, well, what about, what about, how could you possibly, you know, Dallas took a tight end and a nose tackle as their first two picks. What are you talking about? I fully acknowledge I am higher on the Cowboys class than almost everybody else, including Cowboys fans. I have had to defend their own draft class to them the entire week, or rather since the draft ended. That's not something I expected to do, but here we are. Listing it off from start to finish, we have Mozzie Smith at 26th overall, defensive lineman extraordinaire from Michigan, can play pretty much anything from a three to a straight-up zero and be just fine. To me, he's going to be DJ Reader. we got Luke Schoonmaker, the tight end out of Michigan. Went earlier than some people expected, but when you consider some of the medical issues with other tight ends in this class and the fact that Schoonmaker himself is a really good player, that really wasn't a reach to me. DeMarvian Overshone, who we both love out of Texas, this one fascinates me because I'm not entirely sure if it's linebacker or safety. Remember, he was a four-star safety and then got converted to linebacker at Texas. A lot of people have speculated that he's being groomed to take over the J. Ron Curse role, Mm -hmm. who only has one year left on his deal. The fact that he can do that or play linebacker and be very good at either spot, to me, kind of illustrates his value. Uh, in an era of positionless defense, or rather us getting closer to positionless defense, DeMarvian Overshone is the poster child for <laughs> just get him on the field and figure it out. Uh, and then we got Viliame Fajoko Jr., the edge out of San Jose State, which to me is just the reincarnation of Pernell McPhee. Maybe a little bit more bend to him, but I mean that in the most positive possible way. I think he's a really, really solid rotational edge pickup for them. Asim Richards from North Carolina during the draft streams. I was talking about him as like, you know, kind of the shelf really, <laughs> there was nothing left after Asim Richards. They managed to snag him in the fifth um, as a tackle who I think legitimately could be a, a swing tackle in the league, if not a high-end guard. Uh, he is an absolute mauler out there. His battle with Keon White, who went in the second round of the Patriots, was, was fantastic. Strong as an ox, great balance, huge guy, great punch. Uh, I'm a big Asim Richards fan, so getting him in the fifth was great for them. Uh, Eric Scott, corner out of Southern Mississippi. They got him with the first pick in the sixth round. Saw him at the Shrine Bowl. Really competitive, lanky guy. Uh, Movement skills are not near a lot of other corners in this class, but him and Miles Brooks, I kind of think, are are similar corners. I think Miles actually ended up going undrafted, but in terms of just big, long, physical, competitive dudes, you just want the room, figure it out. Might, Might convert to safety, but we'll see. Deuce Vaughn. I mean, how do you not love the Deuce Vaughn pick? 35th pick of the sixth round. You know, obviously his father <laughs> works in the front office and got to make the call. Uh, if Deuce was not 5'5", 180, if he was like 5'9", 190, he would have been one of the four first running backs drafted in this class. His footwork, his agility, his versatility as a receiver, he's, he's just a phenomenal player. And in terms of tape grade, should not have been anywhere near this late in the sixth round. But because of size, he was. I absolutely love that pickup for them. Uh, and then Jalen Brooks rounded it out late in the seventh round, wide receiver out of South Carolina. The only Cowboys player that I didn't get to watch. But 
the the strength of their first picks leading up to that last one was so darn good. And I was dumbfounded, EJ, dumbfounded that Cowboys fans didn't like this class because I loved it. Yeah, there were a lot of them, and they were noisy, which is how Cowboys fans are. Uh, even up here in the Northwest, the place I go to watch games, there are four or five Cowboys fans, and they sit at the bar, and they make noise. Good or bad, they will let you know how they feel about their team. So it doesn't surprise me in that area so much. I'm a little surprised. It doesn't have a ton of star power. And Cowboys, they got a star on the side of their helmet. They love star power. They love big names flashy names they have for a very long time and that's been a huge part of their history there's not a lot of that in here so i can understand from a star power like flashy on the billboard you know go sell tickets standpoint maybe they don't love it but i think they will love these players it's kind of one of those things where you have a lot of bark when it's happening and you throw your hands up and you toss your beer and you say "Ah, i don't love it and then like two or three years later you're like you know what a lot of those guys are really good. They're kind of cornerstones that we lean on in this area, this area. And th- okay, mm-hmm. it was it was all right, right? But that's the quiet part. The loud part comes first. And I love Mozzie Smith, uh, crazy freak athlete, schooner maker. Uh, I sent you my pre-tight end rankings versus how they actually fell out, and it pretty much nailed it. And I was higher, I thought, than most people on schooner maker. So not the league, apparently. League liked his blend of skills, as did I. Uh, Overshone was a guy that I trumpeted throughout the pre-draft process as a really athletic, I said backer. Still think it's probably backer, but who hadn't completely scratched the surface yet. There's more there, and if you're getting that guy, you know, in the late third, that's that's a good pick. Fahoko, one of my favorite guys in terms of hand usage in the entire draft. I think his hand usage is better than anybody in this draft, and I'll put that up against anybody. Now, athletically, not as much, but I like the Pernell Mufi comp and just the production. He just finds a way to be productive against everybody and did against everybody. Deuce Vaughn, did you see the comment that Mike Golick Jr. put out? Deuce Vaughn's no. numbers and Deuce Vaughn's numbers in the weight rooms are just a reminder that running backs are basically human size ants. <laughs> yeah, he's strong, man. They're he's really strong. Incredibly, incredibly powerful. So I I thought it was a good and solid class, and I was a little surprised by the outcry but i'm not gonna say like shocked because cowboys fans like to have their outcry and they had it about this class i think they might be a little bit quieter in a year or two but the beauty of the draft is we'll find out and i want to expand on the mozzie smith thing real quick um because dallas typically does not go after nose early like ever i don't remember the last time they invested in a nose early but Mozzie is not just a nose. Like I said, you can put him at three technique. He can play head up on a guard. He could play two eye. He could play shade. He could play cock nose. He could play true zero. Pretty much anything from outside shoulder of the guard in, he can do that. And when you look at how the Dallas defense functioned last year, again, people look at Dan Quinn, they're like, oh, they play a lot of cover three because his you know, experience in Seattle. Like, no, that's not how Dan Quinn's called his defenses for a long time. They were fourth in the NFL in terms of percentage of their calls being cover two, mm-hmm. uh, which is about 20%. And that's a lot by NFL standards, right? They want to do it more 
because the NFL is shifting. I don't want to say rapidly, but it is shifting towards being able to play two high structures and stop the run from those two high structures. And you can't do that unless you have Mozzie Smith. I think this pick signaled, hey, we want to play more quarters. We want to play more quarter, quarter, half. We want to play more cover two. We want to be able to keep two safeties deep because we have DeMarvian, and I'm talking like expanding, right? Expanding wide. Uh, because we have DeMarvian Overshone that can run the pole down the middle. We have Micah who can run the pole down the middle. We got speed everywhere at linebacker, so we can play a bunch of Tampa two, and there's nothing you could do about it. You know, and if we're playing cover two and we got Diggs jamming, he doesn't have to stay over the top of the route. He can kind of play low shoulder and, and stay under it and get a bunch of picks. So I really think they're going to be modeling their defense more after the 2002 Buccaneers than the 2012 Seahawks this year. But they can't do that without Mozzie. It's not possible because you don't have the safeties coming down late, right? So they kind of tip their hand for what they're going to do, but they're so talented right now that I don't think anybody's going to be able to stop them anyway uh, in terms of stop their defense. Like, they are going to dictate the pace, and they're going to be uh, – I think was it we were talking about with Matt Bowen a couple of weeks ago where uh, the, the mid-2000s Bears called cover two like 42 times in a row. Dallas can do that now. And there ain't shit you can do about it because they have Mozzie Smith. Go ahead. Try to run the ball. I dare you. Probably not going to work. And this is what happens with teams when people say, oh, well, they're going to disguise and they're going to do this. And, yeah, late rotations can confuse a quarterback, but it's not like those aren't seen on tape, too. And everybody has all the tape. I need to stress that. Every team in the NFL has all the other tape, all of it. The college tape, the pro tape. There aren't any secrets about what's happening what it comes down to is now that we know what you're doing how well can you execute it do you have the pieces to make it work and do your guys win their matchups and i'm with you that this is the cowboys leaning into you kind of know what we're gonna do this is a little bit more what we want to do and now we got the horses to do it right so just come at us bro like we'll, <laughs> we'll put ours our in against your in right was that the other uh... Bum Phillips, right? Bum Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Your number three, definitely not something that, definitely not a team that we expected to talk about, I think, uh, coming out of the draft because we thought, ah, they're just going to trade for a whole bunch of assets next year, acknowledge this is a rebuilding year, they're going to be garbage, and they'll be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes and blah, 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 which they still might be. Who knows? Um, but boy, Arizona Cardinals, come on down. You had yourselves a damn good draft. Yeah, and this is why I want to talk about favorites and not best, because I think we thought they might, but if we rewind the clock a little bit to pre-draft, we weren't sure what they were going to do. They got a new GM and a new coach, and that's always a bit of, hey, we need to figure out what the tendencies are for both of these and how they work together and what they prioritize and who wins the, the battles in the draft room and, and what do they come up with at the end of the time. So there was a lot of theories about, look, they realize where they are as a roster. This is what they're going to do about that. But there were still people saying that they were going to stick and pick at three. And we didn't really know. They got the opportunity to trade down. And the reason I want to talk about the Cardinals draft is not necessarily all the players they got. They got a lot of great players. We'll talk about those. But this is a realistic draft for Arizona. And we've seen a lot of things out of Arizona in the past four or five years that haven't been realistic. 
And you and I have said it in the offseason. We said, man, the top-level talent's great, but I don't think they're acknowledging the fact that injuries happen. And once you get into that, what are they going to do? Or why do they keep picking athletic linebackers high if they don't know how to use them? They're just, there's a lot of things that didn't match up in the desert. And this draft matched up with where they need to be and what they need to do. And I just think that's a like a nice, fresh, cold splash of honesty coming out of the Cardinals saying, we are not one player away. We could stick and pick. We could take Will Anderson. Will Anderson is not going to help us. Of course Will Anderson's going to help us because he's a great player. He's not what we need right now. We need a lot of players, and we need a lot of assets. We need to set ourselves up to build this thing foundationally, which isn't always sexy. We talked about it with the Cowboys a little bit. Not a lot of sexy star power in this draft necessarily, but we need to put a lot of pieces in place that can support what we want to build with a new coach and a new GM, and they're able to do that. They have lots of needs for players, and they got lots of chances. They picked a bunch of players this year and next. So they had nine picks this year, including two round threes, two round fives, and two round sixes. In 2024, they have, deep breath, two round ones, a round two, three round threes, two round fours, two round fives, and a round seven. In a year that is looking like, and, and we caution you against this too, a historic quarterback draft it is going to be a very talented quarterback draft from where we sit right now lots of things could change they could be in the market for a quarterback they have the assets if that comes to pass if they love how kyler adapts to the new system and the new talent they want to build around him they can do that too they retain that flexibility so they've positioned themselves to do whatever it is they need they got quality football players all the way down the board to build that base and foundation. Keechol Clark was a steal in the sixth. You start off with Paris Johnson Jr. Talk about foundational pieces like a basically classic left tackle with athletic upside, plenty of skill right now. B.J. Ojolari, super young at edge, can bring him some heat there. Garrett Williams coming back off the ACL has some things to learn but again great get in the third round to be able to get a potential starting corner there largely got that because he's the Eddie Jackson Memorial Award winner he was hurt during the late season fell out of the draft process spotlight people forgot about him Michael Wilson again health concerns coming out of Stanford but can build that receiver room John Gaines one of the most athletic offensive linemen in this whole draft uh, they've got him just as IOL, which I think is good. He could play guard, play a little tackle for you. I think they'll probably try and start him at guard. Clayton Toon, who I think is was one of the best quarterbacks in this draft class to hold that sort of number two possible spot starter role. They grabbed mm-hmm. him. I thought that was a tremendous value. Oh, and Papo, they waited just because their fans have PTSD about athletic linebackers. They waited until the fifth to grab the uber-athletic linebacker that hasn't figured athletic it out Athletic linebackers that don't have instincts. <laughs> there you go. That's the caveat. There you go. I mentioned Key Charles Clark, one of our favorites. You can see our interview with him here on the channel. I think sixth is late for him. I would have taken mm-hmm. him any time after the late third, like compensatory picks down was great all the way through the fourth where all the way through the fifth where get him in the sixth and then Dante stills right near the end 213 I think has upside for them and if you're getting a a guy that can has upside for your base either defense or offense in the sixth you did really well so they got these foundational pieces are any of them going to be stars we don't know we'll find out a lot of them have the potential to play very well for a Cardinals team that needs a lot of their roster to play very well this year 
if they end up where we think they'll probably be next year, they have all those guys with a year of experience and all the draft picks I mentioned. Really good job by Arizona. The the thing that if and if I did my trade math correct, which <laughs> you know don't entirely rely on me for that, but I think I did it correct. The thing that really got me was they started out at third overall. They knew they wanted Paris Johnson, right? And and for a long time we assumed okay it was going to be either Tyree, Will Anderson, or trade. And you know Tyree with the foot, you know some teams were kind of scared off by that. And Will Anderson, like you said, great player, but would not fix all their problems. And then we kind of heard late, like, oh, they're definitely in on Paris Johnson. That's who Kyler wants. They could take him third. We're like, okay, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate that, right? But if they were zeroed in on Paris Johnson and they still got him at six, and essentially they just gave up a fourth and a fifth round pick with two trades between Houston and another one with Detroit, they essentially just gave up a fourth and a fifth round pick to get Paris Johnson plus a first and a second next year. That's nuts that is absolutely insane value and for a guy and for a guy who's in the chair for the very first time yes everybody yes. talks about this in gm that your first draft your this is essentially his first pick he was trading away his very first ever chance to be able to do this we're talking about monte Alsaport, the new gm for arizona this is balls of steel like, this is GMing <laughs> at the top level, the very first chance you get to do it. That's Cardinals fans should be very, very excited by that. And when they came back and, you know, still getting Ojolari, which it's like, obviously he's not Will Anderson, but he's still a very good young edge rusher prospect with length. He's got 34 plus inch arms, 6'2, 250. Again, he doesn't have the best first step, but I kind of am curious to see what they can coach out of him because he kind of has like a I'm trying to describe this properly he has like a little bit of a false step Hmm. in his first step where he he's not fully loaded uh and like I think his stance is a little bit too high and so he kind of has to push off his back foot to get loaded onto his front foot to really kind of get that that first jump and I think he wastes a little bit of time on that and I think if he loaded differently and loaded more onto his front foot and you see a lot of the best pass rushers they get low right they get that weight on the front foot so that they can't push off the back foot and waste movement they have to go off the front foot which again is an extra three feet or so of of like space that you're you know gaining on that so I I think his first step oddly enough is a coachable issue I, I'm not saying he's a freak athlete or anything but he can maximize himself better than he already is plus you have the length plus even if he's not fully developed in terms of all of his moves he at least tries them right he at least experiments like you saw him throwing a ghost you saw you saw him throwing a, a long arm stab he's he, he tried a counter spin inside it didn't always work but at least he tried it so I I love the Ojolari pick as well um Keytrail, I'm very curious to see if there was some sort of medical thing right because I mean we thought he could have gone top 120 you know somewhere around there like early four wouldn't wouldn't have shocked me to go in the sixth there there had to have been a reason for that and he's one of the top nickels in this class they could also play safety love that as a value pick for them and, and you know I love Dante Stills too so uh overall love the class the the Papo pick uh the Auburn linebacker was like the one where I was kind of like eh 
whatever. But everything else, I yeah. adored it. And if you're talking about round five, 168. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> he's going to be able to play special teams like a demon from the get-go. And if you mm-hmm. have any question about that, go look at his hit on Sean Clifford, the quarterback from Penn State. And when you stop reeling and your head comes back together, go, yeah, in the fifth, he's going to start on special teams like most fifth-round linebackers. And if something else comes along and he ends up replacing somebody or taking some snaps from one of their regular rotation linebackers, great. And if not, you got an absolute fire breather on special teams in the fifth. Good on you. We're going to get back to this show in just a second, but I really do need to take a moment to thank our sponsors that helped make it all possible in the first place. And this week, that's ButcherBox. You can take the guesswork out of buying high-quality meats, and you can get it delivered right to your door directly from ButcherBox as often as you want it. All of their beef is 100% grass-fed, they have free-range chicken, they have wild-caught seafood, and their pork is raised crate-free. You've seen a lot of the great food that I've cooked using different meats from ButcherBox on this channel. And if you're watching the YouTube version of the show, that's on the screen right now. And maybe the main theme that you picked up on is that I really like beef. Whether it's steaks, whether it's beef ribs, whether it's ground beef, I really can't get enough. And I cook with it every single week. And ButcherBox acknowledges that. And so as part of their promotion for this week's show, if you sign up using our promo code at the link in the description below, that is butcherbox.com bootleg, you will get two pounds of free ground beef in every single box for a year. That is a lot of free beef. And not only that, but you're also going to get $20 off your first box as well. So if you're a meat eater like me, just check out ButcherBox and everything they have to offer. There's a variety of different box plans from curated to customized. You can get the exact cuts that you want. And again, all of it is very high quality stuff. I cook with it every single week, and I think you're going to love cooking with it as well. So again, that is butcherbox.com bootleg. Whatever you want to order, it's $20 off your first box, and you get two pounds of free ground beef in every single box for a year. Thank you again to ButcherBox for sponsoring this week's show. And with that, let's get back to it. Getting back into this countdown now, we're going to go with my number two team, which, surprise, surprise, Howie Roseman still knows how to draft. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles just absolutely crushed it again. And they crushed it by uh, you know, sticking to perhaps the oldest draft strategy in the book, which you know, if there's a historically good college football team, just draft all those dudes, and you're probably getting good football players. Uh, Jalen Carter, ninth overall pick. They traded up slightly, a little baby trade with the Bears to make sure that they could get Jalen Carter at nine. I assume that was because the Bears were fielding some calls from other teams, and they called up Howie and said, just give us a little something-something, and then <laughs> and then we'll figure out at tenth overall. So they got Jalen Carter for a song, uh, and that's a great situation for him because I think really the only concern that people have with Jalen Carter is – you need the right leadership in the room around him to make sure that he gets maximized. And Philly has a lot of great veterans in that D-line room that can help turn Jalen Carter into a monster, including some of his old and current teammates. Uh, they came back at 30th overall, got Nolan Smith, who was the leader of that Georgia defense for the last couple of years and somebody who Jalen Carter uh, obviously has a, a close relationship with and is also extremely talented in his own right. So sticking with the Georgia motif there, uh, they went over to Alabama in the third round, got Tyler Steen, very talented offensive line prospect who I am fascinated to see if they put him at tackle or at guard because I think he could potentially do both. 
uh, extremely talented kid. I thought he got a little bit of a bad rap at the Senior Bowl because it's more of, and we talked about this with Brandon Thorne, right? Like his issues are more technical than talent related. He's got a ton of talent. Um, I think just handling power is, is something that technically he still hasn't gotten down yet. But if there's anybody who can fix him, it's probably Jeff Stoutland, who's the best offensive line coach in the league. So I'm really curious to see what they do with Tyler Steen. I think he could be a tackle or a guard, and I'm talking early, like to the point where if somebody goes down this year, he could play and they won't miss a beat. Really, really talented kid. Uh, Sidney Brown, also at the top of the third. I think they took him back to back, right? Yeah, 302 and then 303. Sidney Brown was one of the best hybrid safety nickel players in this class, if not the best. And the only reason he fell, from what I can gather, is that there were some teams that were concerned about concussion issues. But in terms of talent on the field and in terms of off-field character, he is incredible. Great leader, freak athlete, somebody who can play in the nickel from day one or play safety on the back end and has range and ball skills and all that kind of stuff. I think that at, at his size, he's 5'11", 210. Um, at his size, he could even play dime linebacker for you because of how aggressive he is. Uh, on field, the only knock that I had, and I had him as – I had a huge grade on Sidney Brown. The only knock I had is he would miss tackles. Again, technical issue. He'd drop his head, drop his eyes, and just kind of lunge at guys rather than, you know, keeping the head up, wrapping and tackling through. Um Tackling technique is, is is a problem for him, but again, coachable thing, and he's a coachable kid. So overall, absolutely love the Sidney Brown pick. I think he's going to play uh, significant snaps for them, even as a rookie in a loaded defense. Keely Ringo at the in in the fourth round. I didn't I didn't think Keely was going to go high, but he definitely went lower than I thought mm-hmm. for somebody with his physical tools. Uh, Tanner McKee um, is not the same as Jalen Hurts <laughs> uh no. it's it's an interesting kind of um interesting kind of mix there where it's like if Jalen goes down the offense is not going to look the same with uh with old Tanner McKee back there I think a lot of the quarterback run game stuff goes entirely out the window but as a thrower he's talented he's got arm talent has some some flashes of big time throws on tape but just can't can't move but again six round who cares uh and then Moro Ajomo at the end of the seventh round, that one shocked me that Morrow was even there. There had to have been a medical thing. There's no other explanation in my mind. Uh, he is another dominant force at the line of scrimmage in terms of resetting the line of scrimmage against the run. One of the best run-stopping interior defensive linemen in this class. As a pass rusher, he is raw as all hell. But in that defensive line room where they take athletes and they say, we're going to fix you, Moro Jomo is is 100% in line with what they like. And I think that he has more uh, more ability to contribute early as a rookie than uh, who was uh, who was the kid they, the freak athlete kid they took a couple years ago um, Milton Williams. Yeah. I think I think Moro is more ready to play as a rookie than Milton was cuz he's better against the run. Uh, and he's also a great athlete who can you know, develop into a pass rusher down the line. So getting him in the seventh was phenomenal. And then, you know, the DeAndre Swift, I guess we can count the DeAndre Swift trade as like part of their draft class, right? We uh, need to. Just acquiring all the Georgia Bulldog infinity stones. Hell of a class by Howie. He did, he did a fantastic job again. I know. Shocker. Yeah. 
Philadelphia, one of my finalists. Um, luckily, you took them. They were going to be an honorable mentions either way, and one of the first teams in there or one of the last teams that didn't make the cut, whatever you want to say. It's hard to not have a pretty good draft when you start with as much capital as Howie did. And I heard there are some GMs, there's a little grumbling about folks like us lavishing Howie with praise. They're they're getting a little getting a little antsy in their pantsy that Howie's getting all the publicity and he's getting the, too uh, bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, I the responses to that initial post I think were more fun than the initial post was like, well, tried, you know. Uh, I think Brad Spielberger said, try picking up dollar bills off the ground like he does. <laughs> you know, just do better. And there is something to that. I'm not holding it against them that they started with all that draft capital. That was his work. So he amassed this huge pile of draft capital, and he used it really well. And you can make all the jokes you want to, but he's getting good football players from Georgia, including DeAndre Swift, who he got in trade. And it's all about bringing in waves with the Philadelphia Eagles. Bring the defensive line in waves. Last year, we said it. their second rotation at D-line could start for at least a third of the teams in the NFL. And then they had a third line behind that that was pretty damn decent and probably could have started for a few teams. And you see it with receiver. You see it with corner. You see it with you know offensive line. They're, again, just always getting chips talking about, hey, who are we going to put behind Kelsey when he retires? Like, who are we going to get for when this tackles contract runs out? They're always doing that, and that is the mark of an incredible team. So Jalen Carter, this is one of the safest places he could have landed, both because of the veteran structure to support them and all of his teammates saying, hey, man, this is the way it works here. We've been here a year. Uh, fall in line. This is a good organization. We almost won the Super Bowl last year. Like, it's working. Do the right thing. And that makes it one of the most attractive destinations in the entire NFL for him. Nolan Smith, great versatile piece, and they understand how to use pass rushers of his ilk. Tyler Steen is fantastic. They label him guard. They labeled him guard at the pick. And I thought, all right, Stoutland's going to put him there and take him inside. And he's going to say, all right, Rook, we got one thing to do with you. And until you do that thing, you're not playing. And once you do that thing, I think you're going to play real, real well. And that makes me very happy because we both like Tyler Steen a lot, but he has, I don't want to call it a fatal flaw. He has an obvious flaw right now. And Stoutland and everybody else saw it. Stoutland said, I can fix it. I got it. And if he does that, you talked about him having talent. He has got oodles of talent. He is from a physical frame standpoint and all the other things about, in his case, playing tackle because he played tackle at Alabama. Mm -hmm. He was really good. He looked great, but in one area, basically anchoring against power, his set against power, which he's going to need at guard for sure. If that doesn't work, he's not going to pan out there. If that does work, he's going to, I'm with you, he's going to pan out very, very quickly. Sidney Brown, great get. We've talked about him in the Illinois secondary sort of at length. Keely Ringo is fascinating. I, too, thought he was going to go later than all the there was originally first-round talk because you have a very tall corner, played at a national championship program who is fast as lightning. Like, he is, he can run. But he runs very well in a straight line, and he's got some other issues. So I had a lower grade on Ringo than others. But here we are, going into day three, he's still on the board. Uh, I had him listed as the top player on the board going into day three. 
And again, he gets to go sit in a veteran cornerback room and watch how those guys do it. Listen to their secondary coaches. Figure it out. He's got all the talent in the world. If he's going to figure it out, fourth round is probably a wake up for him. Get in, do your work, hang out with all your former teammates. Oh, and by the way, Darius Slay. Yeah, this is your new mentor. Like, let's go. Tanner McKee is fascinating to me. That was my first and only, and if we're talking about a sixth-round pick being the only one that threw you off your stride, which was like, okay, what are you doing there? Like, I get it. I understand the appeal of McKee, but not necessarily for the program you've got in place and the offense you want to run. It was my first sort of like, okay, but we're talking about a sixth-round pick, number 188 overall. Not a thing. Moro Joma, I'm with you. Very surprised. Um, you said that you thought he was more ready to play. I do. I think he's a better football player. And it's a question of how they get him in. But he can play everywhere. And that versatility I thought was going to be a real bonus. I thought people were going to look at that and say, look, this guy, we can play at six. We can play him at five. We can play him all the way into three. Texas played him all the way down to one. You have all this, and he's good at that. Like, he has that sort of Alabama thing of, I'm going to be a base run-stopping end, and I've got a little bit more than that. I called him underrated throughout the process. I really thought he was going to go earlier. I'm fascinated to find out. We don't know yet. We might never know. We might hear down the line what people were worried about. But an incredible value. And, again, talk about picking up dollar bills off the ground. Like, you get more Ojoma in the seventh. All right, (laughs) rich get richer, (laughs) class is amazing. Like, he just keeps doing it. We used to say this about the Ravens all the time. And, you know, they just let the board come to them and then go, sure, you're going to let us take it? And everybody goes, oh, how did the Ravens get blah? I feel that way about the Eagles now. Like, Moro Jones on the seventh? Like, whatever. They they already went to the Super Bowl, and they got better. And, and we said a similar thing about uh, the Bengals last year, right? It's like, oh, my God, they, they went to the Super Bowl and they got better. They're going to be right back in it. And they were. The Bengals were right back in it again. Eagles are not going away anytime no. soon. And especially looking at the contract structure that Jalen Hurts has, it's team-friendly enough that they will not be hamstrung by that money. They will never be hamstrung by that money. There are bad quarterback contracts from a team perspective. That is not one of them. And if I was every other team in the league with a young, dynamic quarterback come and do, uh, you know, looking at you, Bengals, Chargers, probably Jags next offseason, take notes. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. You don't do it the way Cleveland did it. You do it the way Philly did it. Uh, Now, looking at your number two, I wanted them, not going to lie. I really, really wanted the Indianapolis Colts, but you stole them from me. Please wax poetic about everything Chris Ballard did because say what you want about him. The man knows how to draft. Andy knows how to adjust. And for me, that's the biggest thing. Our biggest hangup with Indianapolis for the past really three seasons is they have not addressed quarterback. They've kicked the can down the road. They've taken one-year flyers and said, we're going to do this. We're going to patch it together. We think the rest of the roster is good enough to support it. It has kicked them seriously in the ass. And last year, I think, was the tipping point for we can't do that anymore. we got to take a swing. As much as we are whatever about taking a swing, as much as we thought it wasn't worth it before, or we were afraid of it, or we thought we could get by without it, that's clearly not a strategy we can 
go down the road on anymore. We got to take our swing. And they took their swing. They didn't kick it down the road again. I think they got a very good one in Anthony Richardson. And this draft's all about quarterback, just like any draft with quarterback up high. If it works out, they're geniuses. If it bombs out, they probably get fired. That's the way that it works with quarterback. I think there's a much better chance it will work out than bomb out. We'll see. But no more stop gaps. So he adjusted there. After that, they got a ton of players. <laughs> they picked a lot of players in this draft. And they picked athletes yeah. all the way down the board. There was a little thing on there sticky note that said athletes no matter what <laughs> wasn't a player <laughs> it was a profile and if they you're a needed... nine five ras or higher you are an indianapolis colt <laughs> come on down they clearly said we were too slow last year as a team offense and defense we were too slow you can tell we talked about the cowboys tipping their hand for what they're going to do by who they drafted the Colts tipped their hand for what they were really concerned at by who they drafted. So Anthony Richardson at the top, we talked about that. They go get Julius Prince. Now, not necessarily the fastest, but a very good athlete. We've talked about how fluid his hips are for his size. I really like the fit in the secondary. They go get Josh Downs. Josh Downs is fast, and he's super quick, which is probably more important for the position he plays. They get Blake Freeland, the most athletic tackle prospect in this class. Has he figured it all out yet? Nope doesn't matter they are talking about building blocks that can work and he is good against the run in the past it's not that he's <laughs> completely clueless it's that he needs to figure a bunch of things out and he's got the best tools in the class to work with switch it over to the defensive line at a time we out of northwestern everybody talked about his tools a ridiculous tester ran a ran his 40 in the fours at 280 like yeah it's it's what? unreal yeah. Uh, you know, does he have some things to figure out? Sure. Do they have to figure out where they're going to play him? They do. Northwestern played him all over. I would definitely advocate for limiting his role as a rookie and saying you need to get good at doing this, and we're going to hone you in. And then if we want to move you around for some flexibility later, we'll do that. Darius Rush, tall, physical, long, same as Brent's, except from South Carolina, and newer to the position. Has only been at corner for a year and a half. So he's he's figuring it out. And again, tools, tools, tools. Daniel Scott, very good athletic safety out of Cal, who I think is a good two-way player, has has evidence of that on tape. Will Mallory runs funny, but well. He doesn't, mm. he's not, he doesn't pass the eye test for an athlete. He doesn't look super smooth, but then you look at his times, you look at how he can get it over on linebackers you know routes down the seam was one of the guys i had a i think he's better than a lot of people think he is didn't come out of the greatest offense at miami think he can be a better pro and just talk about stacking chips indianapolis needs another tight end like they need a hole in the head but they were like mm, we like him value lines up with our board we're not done we have four more players at this point evan hall the do everything running back out of northwestern who i think uh can be a budget version of austin eckler like because he's really good. Okay. I said budget version. <laughs> woo, woo. You know, he's he's a good runner. He's very good against the pass. Probably not as good in pass pro as Eckler is right now. But that's okay. You're getting him in the fifth round at 176 overall. Can you fit him into your rotation? And again, what is a very talented running back room? Yeah, he might be a practice squad guy just because of numbers, not because of talent. Titus Leo. 
the linebacker. They have him listed as linebacker. Jalen Jones, the corner, and then one of the most athlete athletes in the entire draft, Jake Witt, small school OT, um, that had a legendary RAS score. This was like Paul Bunyan-esque stuff. Like, did you hear about that kid? <laughs> did you see how he moved? So top to bottom, athletes, movers, really starts and ends in a lot of ways with Richardson. But this is a base for the Colts moving forward. It is not necessarily the way Ballard has drafted in the past, and he pivoted. He said, look, it didn't go well. You're giving me another shot. I'm going to do something different. not going to make mm-hmm. the same mistakes again. I'm going to pivot. It might work. It might not. But I'm going to go down swinging, and this is my swing. Richardson to solidify the quarterback position, and then athletes all the way down the board. Anthony Richardson had one of the most impressive uh, you know, pre-draft seasons ever in terms of like combine testing and testing numbers jake witt not that far off and i i want to i want to remind people this guy is 6'7 302 with almost 34 inch arms he jumped 37 inches in the vertical 10 3 in the broad ran a 489 with a 171 10 yard split that is i i almost don't have words He's one of the most athletic tackle prospects ever in the history of the sport, ever. Not saying he's going to work out. Not saying he's a great football player. Went in the seventh for a reason. But good Lord, talk about ball of clay. <laughs> if, you can, if you can mold him, right, like you might get your own Jordan Mailata type, type guy yeah, here. Go get him a Lowe's sponsorship because he is all about tools. And Blake Freeland, their other investment at tackle. <laughs> The other Hold most on. athletic tackle in the entire draft. So Witt had a 9.8 RAS, Freeland 9.83, 6 7, 302, same size. Uh, like 33 and 7 eighths arms, right? So basically 34 inches. Also 37 inch vertical, 10 foot in the broad, 49840, 10 yard split. I, I, it's rare to see one of these guys ever come out, like from an athletic perspective let alone for two of them, and for them to go to the same team. And then you throw in everything else on top of that. This is a, a potentially franchise-changing draft for the Indianapolis Colts and to the point where you're not going to survive the AFC without super weapons. I think they got not just one, but maybe like four <laughs> super weapons in this class. Uh, Chris Ballard knocked it out of the park. Also, one note on Anthony Richardson. Because, you know, the athleticism, obviously, is the headlines. On tape, I had a better tape grade on Anthony Richardson than Will Levis. To me, it wasn't close. Like, better pocket presence. Better overall ball placement. And and people crushed him and said, ah, completion percentage, blah, 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 blah. No. When you look at the actual throws he was asked to make and how often he was asked to stretch the field, there was a lot of low percentage balls in that offense that he was asked to complete. So, don't don't take raw completion percentage into this just look at the tape look at the actual ball placement and he was more consistent than will levis i'm not saying it's where it needs to be it's not cj stroud it's not bryce young but it's not bad and i think he could play early as a rookie and be fine because of what he showed on tape in terms of just getting it like he was very inexperienced but he still felt further along than almost every other quarterback in this class and, you know, the Colts have insinuated that he might be the week one starter and they want him to just learn by playing. And I think he can do that 
because he already did that in the SEC and was fine. So I'm fascinated, truly fascinated to see what the Colts look like next year because we were already high on them last year and then it kind of fell apart because you take an older immobile quarterback behind a right guard turnstile and things fell apart quickly for them. This is not the same team. I mean, it is, but it's not, right? Like, this Colts team is going to be good. And I think good quickly. So, watch out for Indy, folks. Now, one quick note before we move on to each of our number one teams. Uh, if you joined us during all of the draft live streams, which was, I don't know how many hours it was. EJ did even more hours than me because I missed the first half of uh, missed the first half of Saturday flying back to LA, and then I came back for like the last three or four hours of it. Um, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. We did pre-show. We're doing post-show. We did all three days of the draft, and we would not have been able to do that without Manscaped. They paid for the trip. They paid for all, you know, essentially paid for all of our expenses, made that live stream possible in the first place and uh, made draft season coverage possible in the first place. So I do want to thank Manscaped for, you know, stepping up and, and being a major partner with us on that. Uh, I know a lot of people that watched the live streams uh, opted to support us by supporting our sponsors. And I really want to encourage people to do that again, because the best way to make sure that this show uh, continues and that we can keep doing shows like this one is to support our sponsors so that they keep coming back and and paying for us to go uh, to the Draft City and do those streams. Uh, so if you happen to find yourself in need of any sort of, you know, men's grooming equipment, I mean anything, whether it's body trimmers, beard trimmers, uh, lotions, soaps, colognes, literally anything you can think of for any part of your body, Manscaped makes it. I, I guarantee that. And so if you find yourself in need of anything, just go check out their catalog. That's all I want you to do. Just check out what they have to offer. If you find something you like, you can use promo code bootleg. That'll give you 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, so you save a lot of money on it, especially if you're going to buy it anyway. Uh, that just helps us out by uh, you know signaling the Manscaped to come back and support the show again. We thank them for everything they did for us over uh, draft weekend and continuing into the offseason. Uh, we really could not have made all this possible without them. First thing I did when I jumped out of the shower this morning, grabbed that trimmer. I was like, that thing is at my <laughs> right hand. I was like, it is the best. I had another one for years and years, and then we got sponsored by Manscaped. I got I was like, okay, it's just another trimmer. And then you start using it, and you're like, that's really nice. First thing I got home, I was gone for a week. I was like, all right, get everything all shaped up. That's uh, Can't thank them enough. Uh, they make great stuff. Uh, it. I Somebody was like, hey, can I borrow it? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you can borrow it, but why don't you get your own? Because you'll love it. You'll never, ever put it down once you've used it. Uh, why don't we get to our number one teams here, EJ? Um, and this was tough competition because beating out the Colts and beating out Philly and beating out Arizona, beating out Dallas, it's no small feat. And I want to admit up front, this could completely blow up in my face because this is the all risk it, no biscuit team over in Pittsburgh, Omar Khan, uh, again, you got to survive the AFC by going after super weapons. So he's like, look, bring me every guy with medical concerns and an astronomical ceiling and I'll take them. This Steelers class could be historically ridiculous, or uh, it could be absolutely uh, terrible, depending on how these, these medical things work out. But I lean uh, towards the, the positive side of things. So let's talk about if this class hits their ceiling, what it looks like. 
We got Broderick Jones, who again they traded up for, got themselves a franchise left tackle, one of the, if not the smoothest mover at the tackle position in this class, extraordinarily high upside. Obviously, functional strength, uh, functional strength isn't all the way there. Uh, core strength isn't all the way there. But in terms of athleticism, in terms of upside, I think he could potentially be like a Teron Armstead 2.0. That's how he looks to me. Come back in the second round, top of the second round, uh, with the pick that they got for trading away Chase Claypool. Thank you, Bears. Appreciate that. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., the legacy. Did not expect him to be there. I don't think anybody expected him to be there, especially the Steelers. Mm. And they had a need at corner. More importantly, they had a need at press corner because this is a team that plays more cover one on first down than almost everybody else in the league. They get you into second and eight. They play cover two, which Porter can also do just fine. They get you into third and five, and then they throw crazy-ass you know, pressures at you. So he fits what they love, which is beating up receivers on first and ten, and they got him at the top of the second round. Super high ceiling for him. Keanu Benton slipped to the middle of the second round. I thought he was a candidate to go to them at 17 if they didn't trade up for a tackle. And they got him in the middle of the second round. My comp for him was Cam Hayward, somebody who can play either five technique or three technique and be damn good at it. Way underrated athlete. Better athlete than I think he tested. Not that he mm-hmm. tested poorly, but like on tape, you're like, wow, he can move. Um, yeah. Wrestling background shows up as a pass rusher. Love, love, love Keanu Benton. Darnell Washington, who EJ, and again, the, the comp isn't crazy. EJ Compton Gronk in terms of the ability to play wide tight end, blow people off the ball in the run game, and then just be an absolute load to handle in the pass game because he's so explosive and, and, and big and <laughs> the catching radius is insane. He's not as smooth a mover as Dalton Kincaid or Musgrave or Mayer or anything like that, but in terms of just being big and imposing and fast in a straight line, like Darnell Washington was was that guy. Didn't find out until like the day of the draft that there was a medical thing with the knees, and that's why he fell all the way uh, until the, the end of the third round at 30th pick in the third round. But if he's fine, like if, if it checks out and he plays a long time, that's a A-plus home run pick. Uh, Nick Herbig, they listed him at linebacker. I, yeah. I saw him generally as like a, a, an edge that if you're th- – I'm just trying to project him to their system, right? Because they don't really do the, the whole like Sam linebacker thing, Mm-mm. like how we think of it. So it's like, is he an edge? Is he playing behind TJ? Like, I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. He's a lot smaller than TJ, but he can do it. He's a really good pass rusher. But we were thinking, it was okay, is he like a hybrid off-ball type guy? I think he's going to be like a backup edge for them, but he's so prolific as a pass rusher, and he's so hard to block because he's small. He's just low to the ground. It's very like Dennis Gardick energy, right, uh, with Arizona. I think it can work. Again, in the late fourth, I'm totally fine with that. Um, and then my guy. <laughs> Seventh round. Again, Came through for you. Upside team here. Uh, Corey <laughs> Trice Jr. I had him as my fifth corner in this class, just behind Joey Porter. And there were other teams in the league that loved him. So I wasn't that crazy. I may be a little crazy, not that crazy. The reason why he fell, and you know, Jim Nagy uh, from the Senior Bowl clarified this on Twitter, medicals were a mess. Uh, like a mess. Like the Senior Bowl apparently didn't even invite him because of medicals, fair or not, you know, disagree or agree with the, with the methodology, fine. Um, but, you know, the Steelers were like, hey, we're willing to gamble on it. It's the seventh round. 
Maybe his medicals are a mess. Maybe we only get two or three years out of him. But for a potentially starting corner that that you're getting in the seventh round, I totally cool with that. I love that. I w- I still wish he went to Senior Bowl. I wish he got invited to some All Star game or Shrine. Like I don't I don't know if Shrine invited him. I have no idea. Um, I wish he went though to to one of those. I wish he got invited to one of those because uh, I think that maybe it would have helped him go higher than this and, and get paid more because he's a much better player on tape than a seventh round pick. Love that guy. And then Spencer Spencer Anderson, the guard from Maryland. Again, there had to have been a medical thing there, right? Like, did you think Spencer Anderson was going to the seventh round? I never no. even imagined that. No, I absolutely thought that he was a better player than that on tape. And I think that's kind of the theme for this class is if you just look at it on its face, this is a home run. When you dig into it a little bit and you find out, okay, there's a medical thing with Washington. That's troubling, but again, it can go two ways. We we saw this with lots of teams and lots of players that have medical things. Is Some teams are completely cool <laughs> with medical concerns, and they have a much higher tolerance for those than others. Some teams are not, and you never know how it's going to work out. Even players that have no medical issues that are flagged coming out of college can get hurt in their rookie year in the NFL and never be the same. So injuries... You just don't know how it's going to play. But on its face, if you just look at the top three, Broderick Jones, again, the Steelers were a little bit like the Colts were at quarterback. They had to take a swing at tackle. They take their swing. Here it comes. Joey Porter, very few, if any, people thought he was going to be available where he was. They take him with the pick they got for trading Chase Claypool away. And then Keanu Benton, one of my favorite players in this draft, also an excellent fit for their system, Pittsburgh does this Omar Khan is continuing this tradition of picking players that work really well in their system you just start with that and go okay as a top three that's an amazing class then you get Washington again tolerance for injury matches up with oh my god what can we do with this guy as a player and they come back and get Herbig and I want to talk about Herbig because when they flashed him up and they had linebacker listed again It's a little bit of a thing, but I cheered when that happened because Herbig was a guy that I had trouble figuring out in this draft process until I went, he's a linebacker. He's not an edge. (laughs) Everybody had him listed as a linebacker. And when I got to the point where I said, no, he's a linebacker, he has really good rush skills, but I think he can do a lot more than that, went back and picked apart all his coverage snaps and said he can do that too. He wasn't asked to at Wisconsin, but he's really pretty good there. He needs to clean up his tackling angles against the pass, not against the run, but in terms of being in phase, being in the right place, having a good feel for his own, Herbig's really good against the pass. He just didn't get asked to do it very much. So when they locked him in as linebacker, I thought they see it the same way I do. This is really cool, and I think he's going to have a tremendous impact there. People are going to, again, say, how did this guy go to the end of the fourth in a couple of years in Pittsburgh system, and he starts producing at a really high level? as their linebackers tend to do. People will look back at this. Trice, it was injury the entire way. We didn't know it. Um, I hope that he and Washington specifically stay healthy because Mm -hmm. if they stay healthy, they are wild impact players, and this class vaults right up towards the top of the board. It is a gamble on injury. They all are in some sense. This one a little more so than a few others. If they pan out, if if half of them pan out, this is a talented, talented draft class. It's all about 
tolerance for injury and how that translates. But in terms of the players and their grades and the fit, whew, Omar Khan, great job. Yeah, and we might not even know for, for three years, right, how this works. Well, maybe we'll know immediately if they all pop <laughs> off of their potential. But, like, I, this is going to be one of those classes that's hard to judge, and it, it might come down almost entirely to, you know, floor or ceiling. It's boom or bust. I'm erring on the side of boom, uh, you know, keeping things positive, keeping things light. But I also understand why there are some Steelers fans that are like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, it's risky. Uh, now, something that was not risky was your number one class where it feels like John Schneider, Seattle Seahawks, just hit every pick right down the middle of the fairway. It's almost like uh, I got the vibe where he's just like, you know, drinking a beer and he's like, oh, who's on the clock? Cool. Take him. And him. And him. And him. Like every pick just felt easy. It felt obvious. It felt scripted. Like like everything was like a Hollywood freaking movie for Seattle. It all fell into place. They got almost all of our favorite players I was dumbfounded with just how how perfect this draft was and if you didn't take Seattle I was going to yeah I get to because uh one of our other sponsors homage uh hooked us up not only with great t-shirts for the draft but also great hoodies I left my hoodie here because I wasn't sure how long it was or how warm it was going to be in KC but uh this is perfect alignment with what Seattle did over the class and the fact that the old silver helmets are coming back so it's just faded and the draft also felt fated uh you talk about talent and needs and where a draft class is strong and the availability where the team had picks because of again the russell wilson trade that's where they got all the extra capital and it all just lined up i was a little bit surprised they started off with witherspoon pleasantly but I don't think many people had made that connection pre-draft. We loved it instantly on the stream. We had talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba with Mina Kimes on the podcast. Is hey, what if JSN's available? She was like, well, that'd be great, but I'm not sure he's going to be there. He ends up there at 20. They stick and pick. He forms what I like to call the Trident, which is Seattle's top three receivers now. We got DK, we got Lockett, and now we have bona fide third receiver i'm not even going to say slot just third receiver that they can move around and do a lot with and who gino's going to love it's a great fit for his skills makes that receiving core incredibly dangerous one of the most dangerous in the entire league for the top three Derek hall i think that might have surprised some people in seattle we love the fit they had a tremendous need and with where they picked the top of the second Derek Hall was again a perfect alignment of talent need fit value just loved it from the moment it came off and then Zach Charbonnet can't say enough about this pick again they oh they picked a running back last year I don't care they traded away or (laughs) let lapse a lot of their other running backs they still have Walker who is fantastic but so is Charbonnet wildly underrated player great value gonna add depth and dynamism and and can be the lead back if they need him to in a heartbeat right now he's that ready so they go four picks before you ever kind of go huh at all like you go yes yes amazing unbelievable and your four picks in they've cleared up for their biggest needs with some of the best players available at those spots again it does feel a little hollywood uh they go to the fourth round they get anthony bradford the guard from lsu they have a thing for lsu 
linemen in general. I'll say interior <laughs> offensive linemen. Bradford had made a late charge, but it was the first one where he went, okay, that's just kind of them picking them. I'm not saying it was off or early or late. It was just sort of like, eh, okay, that's their preference. Before that, it just felt like, yeah, he's just picking the best player on the board at their position of need, and it just happened to line up perfectly. Um, Cameron Young, big defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Again, if you look at the top four and then you look at those two, you're like, okay, they're cooling off now. They were the hottest hand in the draft, and they're cooling off now. They're fine. Those are good players, good fits, but ah, it's got a little bit less shine to it. And then they come back in the back half and finish out at least from my eye, incredibly strong. They go get Mike Morris, the defensive end, who I really like from Michigan. I think he's got some untapped pass rush. They need pass rush. He's very athletic, and Michigan didn't let him off the chain very much. His pass rush pressure per snap rate was higher than many defensive ends in this class. I think they really might have something there. They come right back and get his teammate Olu the center, who I thought was wildly underrated in this draft class and felt like, again, where they got him crazy value so i'm like all right we're back on the roller coaster right the first four were the highest high you can get Two, just i don't even want to say went down in a valley they like flattened out a little bit and then they start heating up in the back half of the draft again they get jerick reed the safety out of new mexico and then kenny mcintosh is a running back way down in the seventh i think a very good compliment to the running backs they already had in the room i think this was a pure value pick they just looked at it and went oh the national championship running back is on the board who's really good in the past game we let some of those guys go we don't we have no need for him whatsoever we're just gonna pick him because he's a really good player with a great pedigree who adds something to our room we're just gonna stack him because we got the pick this is great talents and fits at the top all the way down the board sneaky good picks in the later rounds again really coming back into the sort of value space a very full draft lots of players that contribute very few players on here i don't think will make the roster and they were already a more talented team than most people gave them for credit last year this is how good teams get really good my first thing i want to hit on is obviously just the absurdity of getting you know arguably cb1 and wide receiver one in the same class without having a trade that in itself is a is an incredibly rare scenario which i can't remember the last time that happened uh if ever now again zay was 1a jsn 1b i'm still considering it like wide receiver one right because it was splitting hairs and it's all about role and in terms of fit specifically with the seahawks you could argue that jsn's a better fit with what they needed so let's just say cb1 wide receiver one for many folks but what i really want to touch on is the charbonnet pick because that that got people grumbling Right, you're spending a second round pick on a running back and you just took K Walk and he was really productive last year. But if you looked at the Seahawks depth chart going into this draft, it was K Walk and DJ Dallas. And I love DJ Dallas when he was coming out of college. He hasn't lived up to what we thought he could be. And if Walker got hurt, they were screwed. And it's not like Walker is some beacon of durability himself, right? And this is a franchise that not too long ago was down to like RB5 and had to call Marshawn Lynch out of retirement late in the year to get them over the hump. And it, it, they never, ever want to have to do that again. They would rather spend a second-round pick on a very talented running back in his own right just to make sure that they have guys, right? Because for whatever reason, Seahawks running backs get hurt a lot. 
happens literally every year. I don't remember the last time a Seahawks running back didn't get hurt. Might have been when Marshawn was there the first time. Uh, it's been a while. And if you're telling me, okay, this was already a loaded roster, they had a second-round pick to spare, quote-unquote to spare, they wanted to insulate themselves at a very important position for this offense because they want to run the ball a lot to take pressure off Geno. That's their plan is run, 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 run. I'm good with it. I'm absolutely good with it. Not to mention, Charbonnet kind of brings a little bit different of a skill set than, than K-Walk, right? Mm-hmm. Is he, not that Walker doesn't run with power, but like Charbonnet is, he, he is more of that hammer type style. Walker, I think, has a better jump cut. He's more shifty. I think getting the edge is a little bit easier for him. So it, it's, they're similar, but not right. And so they do bring kind of complementary styles to each other for like a slash and bash type type arrangement there. I love that pick. I really do. And I was actually kind of surprised that Seahawks fans were so against it because you'd think that with all of their life experience watching backup running backs, that they would realize they need more than one. And, you know, maybe they realized uh, after thinking about it for a couple of days that that it was a good pick. But either way, I, I love that. Uh, and then Derek Hall, another one that I want to talk about. Another guy who I thought very easily could have gone in the first. I thought he was a candidate for the Chiefs at 31. Uh, I, I mean, hell, as long as the Jets are taking edge rushers, he, you could have argued, you know, swapping him out for Will McDonald. And I like the Will McDonald pick, by the way, too. But, like, the grades weren't, weren't that far off. And if we're just looking for certain traits, certain builds, I'm sure there were some teams that had higher grades on Derek Hall than Will McDonald. Uh, EJ, yeah, exactly. Put his <laughs> hand up. <laughs> and yeah. he has the he has the type of you know the Justin Houston type build a shorter guy six two uh, I think he's like two fifty five with thirty four plus inch arms like he's thick he's strong he's long he has the ability to kind of you know throw that one arm out there uh, and do the one arm stab and shorten the corner but he's got better hips than a lot of guys that are are wound that tight you know he actually can bend and he can dip and he can throw a ghost move without falling on his face. I, Honestly, like in terms of Ojolari versus Derek Hall, like gun to my head, ah, taking Derek Hall. Um, Felix Anaduke Ozoma, gun to my head. That's close. It's really close. And I think that he very easily could have gone in the first round, even over Will McDonald, and I would not have questioned it. And to get him in the second round, he might be their most talented pass rusher day one. He really might be. Uh, at least edge rusher, right? Not, not. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, maybe out of all of them, now that I think about it. He's really, really talented, is my point. And I think that, that he might end up being an even better player than Boye Mafe, who they took last year. And I loved Mafe. So, again, just keep on stacking talent. This Seahawks roster is beyond loaded, and they should be one of the three, at worst, one of the four best teams uh, in the NFC this year. Yeah, the Charbonnet pick, I'll go back to it for a minute. I think. Seattle fans might grouse about it a little bit until they see him play. Mm -hmm. I heard him described at one point, and it was the depth of draft season, so the silly takes were out as boring. And if Zach Charbonnet Charbonnet is boring, lull me to sleep. He's got great size, 6'2", 214. His yards per carry among top backs in this class, second. 6.9 yards per carry over a lot of carries tied with Ty J Spears, who most people, including myself, think of as more explosive. If you're talking about boring and not, that's typically what people are talking about. Tied. 
with Tajay Spears. His explosive percentage of plays per attempt, second highest in this class behind Keaton Mitchell, who was at a ridiculous 30%. Charbonnet is at 20.5, one out of every five plays where he touches the ball, goes over 10 yards. Mm -hmm. He is also a factor in the pass game. He has just enough wiggle to make you miss between the tackles to go with his power. He always seems to make the right decision, and that tacks three, four, five yards onto the end of his runs. Always falls forward. I know that's a running back trope. Not everybody does it. Charbonnet does and has four years. This is a guy that would have been in the top five running backs, probably the top three running backs if he'd come out last year in the draft. This is a very, very good player at a position of need who, look, let's face it, you will probably see in action. It is very unlikely in a long, now 17-game NFL season that a starter running back makes it unscathed the whole way. He's going to get some carries, and when he does, you're going to hate it for about zero plays before <laughs> you go, oh, man, God, that he's really good. Like, he's really good. And then it's going to seem like, who cares, second-round pick, whatever. Let's go. You had extras from the Russell Wilson trade. This is a a good spend on an area that your team focuses on and will concentrate on and really propels them forward on the offensive side. I had no problem. I loved that pick. Didn't expect it, but loved that pick from the second it was made. I also want to hit on um, Cam Young and, and Mike Morris. Um, so Cam Young, late fourth-round pick, purely a run stopper to me, but they needed that. There was a yep. Thursday game last year, um, and, and Cam Young, he's somebody who I think could play five, he could play three, or he could play you know some snaps at nose. He, he's a little, little taller than you think of for a typical nose, but he's really powerful. And he has no pass rush wiggle to speak of, but like there was a time in last Thursday, or in last season on Thursday, where they were literally down all of the nose tackles. They didn't have any left. They had no interior line to speak of, and they got run the hell over. I think it was against the 49ers, now that I think about it. It was bad. And so they, you know, going into this this draft, and that's a big reason why they were linked to Jalen Carter, they were linked to, um, you know, Mozzie Smith, they were linked to Keanu Benton, they were linked to a whole bunch of interior defensive linemen because they they didn't have the horses to stop the run inside. Cam Young was that pick for them. Again, I am not putting him on the field on third down at all, but with all the pass rush talent they now have, they won't have to. So I really love that for them. Uh, and then Mike Morris is a fascinating one to me. If he was taken any higher than the fifth round, I probably would have had a gripe about it. They clearly believe in in the tools that he does bring to the table. I don't think he has a particularly great first step. I don't think he's particularly bendy. He's one of the few edge rushers in this class where I found one rep of him actually winning to the edge and, and flattening around the corner and, and getting a quarterback hit. He tends to get most of his wins on inside counters, where he's kind of getting on the inside shoulder, push the tackle back, open the gate, flatten down inside. So he is kind of a one-dimensional pass rusher. But he does have plenty of examples of that working for him. So I think he is a rotational guy. He's a complimentary guy. By no means do I ever expect him to be as successful as Derek Hall or as Boye Mafe or as Uchenna. Uh, like pretty much any of, uh, you know, Daryl Taylor, 
like any of these other Seahawks edge rushers, I don't expect him to ever be on that level. But for like a fifth guy in the rotation that has some tools to work with and has some upside, like I, I, I get that pick. Some people were kind of losing their minds about it. Fifth is about the highest I would go for him, but I'm okay with it. Uh, and then Kenny McIntosh again. I, I think you talked about Kenny when you were when you were going through it. Um, for a fairly depleted running back room pre-draft, getting him as like your RB four, yeah, sign me up for that. I, I really really like that pick. Thing about McIntosh is everybody. You know, if you talk about receiving backs in this draft, everybody's like, oh, it's Jameer Gibbs. Well, yeah, it was. In a lot of ways, Jameer Gibbs. He had the second highest number of receiving yards in this draft, and we know that can be fickle. McIntosh was first. He had the second yards per route run figure in this draft. So Gibbs is 1.73 yards per route run. McIntosh is 2.14. That's a fairly significant difference. I know it sounds like just you know part of a percentage point, um, but that he, he, again, he had the most yards. He had the highest yards per route run. He was very effective as a pass receiver. Was he as good as a runner as Gibbs? No, and, and again, not as flashy, but very solid. Like He didn't start for the national champs because he was average. So, again, these, two, these guys are one and two in this class. But McIntosh's receiving stats were better than the guy that many perceived as the class leading, not even close is what I heard a lot of times. Like Gibbs is the best receiver in this class. Might be the most explosive receiving running back in this class, but by numbers, not the best. Now, I'm not saying McIntosh is Gibbs. He's not. He brings a different skill set. But what he did with the opportunities he had in the SEC, let's, let's not undersell it, were very, very good. To get that guy in the seventh, I mean, come on, Gibbs went in the first. Top 12. Yeah, top 12. Which, by the way, the reason why we had Detroit in our honorable mentions uh, was not the Gibbs pick. <laughs> it was everything they did after that. Uh, not that I disliked Gibbs as a player, but they the thing that blew me away was they're like, oh, yeah, we would have taken him at six. And I'm like, over. Bijan? Because Bijan was there. What the fuck? <laughs> did you like... see what did you see what Solak did with their picks? I love this. Oh yeah, you just you just yeah. move them around, right? So you put took, Brian Branch he, first, then Jack right, Campbell. You just basically yeah. take Brian Branch and move him to the top. Move him up. Now it would have been a little bit early for him, but maybe eight or ten picks early for him. And yeah. then everybody else at the next slot, and it works out great. So Detroit got a haul. Lions fans, we like your class. The order was a little goofy. The rationale was a little bit goofy. Um, Brad was on a bit of a heater at the beginning of the draft. What they ended up with overall for a haul, very, very solid. Absolutely earned a place in our honorable mentions and is another great class for them. Third great class in a row. And that's probably more important overall is year over year how does your team do Do they have you know everybody can have one great year but if they generally stink at the draft overall your team's going to suffer the lions have had three straight strong drafts and that's the best news coming out of detroit yeah again i want to emphasize gibbs is a good player he will be good for them campbell is a great player he will be great for them brian branch great player will be great for them I just wish they did it in a different order, you know, to kind of make it make more sense in my brain. And also, if you're going to go with running back at six overall, good Lord, Bijan Robinson's right there, Brad. 
come on now. But whatever. Worked out in the end. Fine. Fine. We'll move on. Uh, all right. That'll 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 wrap it up for favorite draft classes of 2023. Uh, EJ, any final parting words? We're going to take a break. <laughs> Finally. That's my that's my favorite part of all this. We are going to take a couple weeks worth of hiatus while we reset and reload, let our brains regel before we dive into all of our off-season content. But um, just a massive thank you to you, the viewers, the audience, the folks that have interacted with us in every way that we put this content out there. We wouldn't get to do it if it wasn't for you. And y'all have been awesome. And there's a lot more of you now. We have more subscribers and more followers on Twitter and more people interacting and asking us questions and asking us to go out and do things. And that is all tremendous. We feel it. We felt the love all season. We still feel it. And we can't thank you enough. Before we get out of here, we want to thank our executive producers over in the executive producer tier on Patreon for helping to make this show possible every single week or every single month at this point. Uh, Marat, Consti, Caden, Andrew, Taylor, Liam, Connor, Joey, and Mike L. Thank you once again to all you guys for helping to make this show what it is uh, with your support. We'll be back in a few weeks to talk about uh, something football related. We don't know what yet. We're going we to chill and sleep and, and figure it out later. Might have some pretty cool guests on. Uh, just because oh, draft right. season's over. Just because draft season's over. We're not done yet, folks. I forgot about that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That'll be a fun show. That'll be a fun show. We can't tell you what it is yet, but it'll be good. So uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. And uh, until then, EJ, let's go take a nap. I think that's great.